not winning 90% of your new business because you have some sort of incredible value. I'm gonna take a bit of a different angle. You know, I've got a budget this big. I'm gonna give it to you because you have a, a really killer plan. You give a Red Bull to a turtle, what do you expect? <laughs> I think that's a dead turtle. <laughs> so let's move on to... Uh, Be break. Cheers. 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 Does your current premium finance company lock you into long-term agreements? That's because they don't want you talking to us. At IFS, we win your business the good old-fashioned way, with customer service. I know you don't always have to use a premium finance company, but when you do, you should use IFS. Cheers. Hi there, and welcome to another episode of the Digital Insurance Point Podcast. I'm your host, Tom Reed, and as always, I'm joined by my colleagues, Steve Earle, CEO of Cheap Insurance. Hello. Adam Mitchell, CEO of Mitch Insurance. Hello. And not present today in body, but definitely in spirit, is Jeff Roy. Mr. Worldwide. Mr. Worldwide, CEO of Excalibur Insurance. And we are pleased today to be welcoming Jackson and Jameson from Quandry. Uh, Jackson is the CEO of Quandry, and Jameson is the president. And we're told they have a mutually assured destruction button where they can fire each other if things don't go the way they want them to go. And with Jeff's absence, I'm going to ask Steve to fill in on our speed round. here. Okay, Jeff Roy speed round. We're going to make it speedier than Jeff would ever do it. Uh, Jameson, what's your favorite Canadian band or artist? The Tragically Hip. Nice. Jackson, when you're not working with insurance brokers, what do you do in your spare time? Uh, normally, it would be skiing or hiking, but... I'm getting married in July, so right now it's wedding planning, which is in taking up all my spare time. Congratulations. I also say goodbye to skiing and hiking. <laughs> uh, Jameson, what, what's your favorite drink? What's your poison, buddy? I would say a good rum and Coke is my drink of choice. Jackson's opinion, who's a better athlete? Uh, I think I think the fact points points to me on that one. Jameson, uh, who's a better fisherman? Yeah, I would say, you know, I, I mean, talking facts, I would I would love to say myself, but Jackson does have the bigger fish of the two of us, mm -hmm. with pictures to prove it. So I can say I can say that. That's that's as fast as I could make it. No musical jokes. Like I missed I missed yeah. Jeff already. Yeah, me too. But <laughs> all right. I guess we're going to actually uh, dive into why you're you're here, aside from your uh, fishing prowess and and how many track and field meets you showed up to. What's the uh, origin of Quandry? What what can you tell us about uh, that business? Yeah, so I can kick it off. I think for quite a while, Jackson and I had been interested in starting our own company, um, and that for me really started while I was in university, actually. So I, I did a degree in computer engineering. And when I was going to school, I worked at a startup for about a year or so. That startup was, uh, they were building autonomous boats to go on the ocean, actually, and uh, essentially replace 
20, 30 person crewed vessels that were going out to do scientific research. Um, and I was one of the first employees hired at, at that startup, which essentially means you get to do and have to do everything and, and anything to, to keep that startup going. Um, and basically out of that, I just realized like how fun and how much of an impact you can have working at a very small company uh, and, and, and fell in love with the idea of a startup really. And so I, after working at that startup, went back to university and I was doing my, doing my schooling. And from that point on, I, I lost, lost a lot of interest in, in my studies themselves and, and was pretty interested in what can we do uh, to start a company together, basically. And was working with a startup right after school where I was managing a large operations team. Part of that team was doing a lot of high volume repetitive data entry into a software platform that we couldn't read or write what we wanted through the API. So I originally built a few bots to solve that problem in that business. And this is while Jameis and I were bouncing around these different business ideas to look at something to do on our own. And after implementing, implementing those bots in that business, we looked around in that business and there were opportunities to build bots for probably 10 different problems. And then we started talking to friends and past colleagues in other businesses. Didn't matter if it was a tech company or if it was a construction company. Every business we talked to had problems around high volume, repetitive data entry work. It was just a big, big problem uh, basically everywhere. So we initially saw it as an opportunity to start experimenting around that space. So building bots to solve the problem of high volume, repetitive data entry, really for SMBs in, in Canada is what we were originally looking at. And we started experimenting around that with a robots as a service model. So we build a robot, you license that robot to us on a, on a subscription basis. And we were doing that with the intention of finding a specific vertical somewhere to go really deep on, but we didn't know what that vertical would be. So we started experimenting across a wide range of industries, construction, financial services, healthcare, retail, legal, and then finally insurance. So we had a number of customers in each of those industries. And it was after we worked with our first couple of insurance brokers, uh, about two and a half years ago, one of whom uh, is not on this call today, but usually is. Our, our very own Jeff Roy was one of our first customers and another broker, uh, Cornerstone Insurance out of, out of Saskatchewan. And after working with both of them, we just realized that the the severity of the pain point in the insurance industry was just much stronger than we than we saw anywhere else. And we were really getting pulled more into insurance through referrals and and through the problems that we were solving. So we decided to pivot Quandary after a bit more research about two and a half years ago to uh, to insurance and specifically to insurance brokers. And that's what we've been doing the last two and a half years now is basically robots as a service for the insurance broker space. So let's talk about your technology. And obviously you're not going to give us all the ins and outs, but a lot of thought of talk about AI out there these days, machine learning, you know, you know I've heard the term robotic process automation, bots uh, coming, you know, uh, talking about you guys. So, Tell us, what, what is that? Where do you guys fit in that spectrum of newer technologies? Yeah, so we, we categorize ourselves um, under essentially intelligent automation. So RPA, AI, ML, machine learning, it, it's essentially all grouped in to, to what we're doing. So these software applications that we're integrating into, they don't have an API or the SDK is pretty limited. And essentially, there's just not a very great way for software to get in, the, in there and actually provide value, as opposed to the, the system doing it itself. 
And so we, why we call it a bot is we build a software program that gets a username, it gets a password, and it logs in over the user interface the same way a person does and clicks over here and types over there and essentially runs that process the same way a person does. Now we take that essentially a step further and uh, use RPA and use the bot as the arms and the legs of the automation that's being done. But behind the scenes, there's a lot of data that's going into those decisions that the bot is making. And so that's where the AI, that's where the ML comes in. So a lot of information comes off of insurance policy documents, the deck pages themselves. And so we spend a lot of resources and a lot of time figuring out how to pull the right data off of those documents and how to use that to drive decisions that the bots then go and do in the BMS systems with the RPA. So it's essentially a combination of many different technologies that are boiled together to provide real tangible value to brokers. What was it you said you're, you're solving was um, most of the verticals you saw was like high, high input, low return transactions. Is it, that's, that's what you're solving. Yeah. So really where, where we look to apply our technology is high volume, repetitive manual processes where they're, you know, they're, they're lower value transactions, where there's not a huge, huge amount of value that's being delivered to the end customer through that, through that touch point. Well, I think you certainly found the right vertical in the insurance broker space um, with enough work for a while, but have you had any, have you faced any adversity or challenges that you've had to overcome with respect to delivering for insurance brokers? Yeah, a, a few. Um, I think we can probably both talk to a couple of these, but I think initially when coming into the insurance industry, um, I didn't realize, I don't think either of us realized how complex it was before coming into insurance. I thought, you know, you, you need a policy, you call your broker, you give them some information, bada bing, bada boom, you have a policy at your, at your fingertips. Once you get into the industry and you understand all the different stakeholders that are involved in all of the different processes that actually actually touch somebody getting a policy, you realize how how deep the industry is and all of the different problems and complexities that come along with that. And that was a pretty steep learning curve for us. It's not something that you can just pick up overnight. Neither of us came from the insurance industry, so it's been a bit of a crash course on understanding that. And I think that's been a that's been a big challenge for us coming into the industry, but also something that we've had uh, phenomenal help from from all of our early customers and kind of helping us build up that build up that knowledge and that competency internally. Um, definitely some challenges on the on the actual deployment side and the technology side. I'll let you speak to those, Jay. Yeah, I think I'll, before before maybe a few very specific areas there have been there have been challenges. I think not coming from the industry as well. When you when you come into insurance, it would be the same with any industry really, but and you're looking to apply automation, there are thousands of places that you could put automation in. And so I think it was, a, it was a challenge for us to really take the time to figure out where we should focus our resources to drive the most real tangible value for brokers. And so trying out different use cases across different customers, uh, talking with as many brokers as we can to ultimately find the use cases we're now working with to provide real value in the automation that we're doing. I was, I was with uh, another broker council um, and one of the large um, aggregator brokers that had a, had a very smart COO there that said they're really embracing um, 
RPA and uh, they had picked up uh, another piece of software. That's sort of, you'd know the name. Um, well, I don't really know that it's a competitor to you. I will say it's like automation anywhere. So it's, it's sort of a, like you, you can pick up and use on your own or, you know, it's meant to be low code. What's your pitch on, on that angle of like, why use quandary as opposed to what, what what's the other category even called? Like, like just self serve for some Yeah. Like a large, you know, large self serve RPA, you know, like a UI path or an automation anywhere. I think it, yeah. it depends on what you're what you're looking for so for instance let's say let's say you have a, you have a company and you want to implement automations across 20 different use cases or 15 different use cases or something like that um, that's not what we do right we're not going to come into your business and we're not going to build custom automations in like 15 or 20 different areas so if you have a really wide breadth of areas where you want to implement these automations and you have a technical team internally that can stand all of that up and manage it, then it could be the right decision to go with one of these one of these large RPAs. Where Quandary is different is what we do. We focus on a very small number of use cases. So we can come into a brokerage and we can implement that use case in about 30 days or so. So we're focused on three use cases. We do those use cases really well, which means we can stand them up really quickly. And we're um, completely vertical to insurance brokers, right? That's all we do. That's what our entire team is focused on all day is brokers and brokers problems. So that means that we can stand these up a lot quicker. And those automations are not just built from the ground up from your business. They're incorporating learnings and exceptions and edge cases from dozens of different brokerages that we've deployed them for. So you end up with a much more comprehensive and robust automation than if you were just building this yourself. So although I have one bot, it, it also learns from all the things that Steve's bot does, is, is what you're saying. There is some connective back tissue there. Exactly. It's learning from across the deployment of all of those robots and all of the different edge cases that it's seen. So it, it ends up being much more robust. Like a common uh, a common criticism of RPA and this, this type of automation is the brittleness of it, right? So if you implement one of these things and something changes, it takes down the bot, which is true if you're doing that in a... Um, for just a for just a couple of different uh, couple of different cases, but if you've done that dozens of times, hundreds of times, it's seen so many different edge cases and exceptions that it becomes quite robust, and it takes takes a lot to then to then make it ineffective. And how that actually like shakes out from a from an ROI perspective and from a from a spend perspective, if you're standing up automation anywhere, you either need um, dedicated resources and a team internally to build and manage these on an ongoing basis. And what customers frequently do is they'll buy that software, they have an internal team, and then they'll use a third-party consultant to then build those automations internally. So you have three different stakeholders who are involved in those automations and getting them up. It can be a, become pretty expensive. You can pay pretty high upfront costs to implement that. With Quandary, it's one, one touch point. We manage the whole thing, and you're just paying a subscription uh, from the start without those large upfront fees. One of the things that we have talked about amongst the podcast crew is is the, the benefits of getting rid of a lot of that administrative, you know, you know high volume, repetitive, uh, non value added tasks, right? When we've talked about it in the sense of having APIs that properly connect back and forth and so on, you guys are coming at a bit of different bit of a different perspective. But have you got any business cases that you can you know share with us to talk about some of the tangible benefits that your clients have seen? 
know, even in early, you know, these still relatively early days. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So I think um, the, the 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 most tangible part of it is going to be labor hours repurposed. So there's there's a lot of benefits that you get from implementing automation. Um, for instance, when you have a bot running versus having a person running, it's more standardized. There's going to be less errors. It can run on a schedule. You can implement standardization across your business. Like there are there are those key benefits to implementing automation versus a person. But I think right now with how difficult it is to hire staff, how hard it is to retain staff, like brokers across the country and across the continent, like that's seemingly one of the one of the biggest problems that everybody has. The main benefit that you get out of this is repurposing staff, right? Taking trained staff that you have in your environment that you can repurpose to more valuable and, and more meaningful work. So for example, we're doing a, uh, we just did an implementation with a, say a, a, a mid-size, mid-size brokerage and uh, across the three robots that we currently offer, it will be repurposing about six to seven full-time staff uh, for the price of about two. So pretty, pretty tangible hours that they're getting back into their business that they can repurpose to, to other areas. So there's essentially there's an immediate, what's one third, so that's a four month, sort of four month payback, mm-hmm. right? Assuming that they're paying entirely upfront with you guys, but uh, seems like a pretty good, uh, pretty good ROI to me. Yeah, it's, it's pretty, it's pretty effective. And obviously you need to, like, you need to be able to repurpose those people into an area where they can then be more valuable and actually ideally, you know, increase, increase revenue and actually drive, drive your bottom line. What are you seeing people repurposed in? Like you're, you're seeing these use cases and I presume you'd be privy to things that make sense as to where do you put people and how many people are repurposing versus laying off or restructuring? Yeah. So for uh, second part of the question, uh, we haven't seen anybody anybody get laid off from any of the work that we're doing, um, which I think speaks to how tight the labor market is in the in the industry right now. Even in the cases where we, we're repurposing five to to eight full time staff, none of those people are being laid off. They're being repurposed to to additional areas. Um, depends on the business. So it depends where they're being where they're putting them to. Some businesses have. Um, pretty strong promote from within policies. So you're taking, you know, maybe a junior admin person and you're moving them up into a, into a CSR role and you're actually moving them onto the, onto the revenue side of the business where they're working on retention or maybe on, you know, cross sell and upsell if you're putting them onto the, onto the renewal process. Um, In other areas, they are, they can just be so backlogged on admin and on processing that if we're taking uh, one of those processes off their plate, they're just moving them to another area in the admin or the processing side to either to, to typically get through a, get through a backlog. So you've created a suite of things that you feel that here's, here's a process that it doesn't matter who the broker is or what BMS are on. It's common to them. It's a challenge. Could you tell us a little bit about the, I don't know, what is it? Three, four, five, six now that you have that you feel could be deployed in any brokerage and add value. Yeah, yeah. So we've got we've got three primary use cases right now. We're working on working on a few others in the background that we should have released soon. But three three core robots right now that we deploy. Um, first one we call the download director. So what that robot robot does is automates the EDI process. So that's going to be different depending on which BMS system you're on. If you're in Epic or in Power Broker or in Sig, those processes do look slightly different. But 
what they boil down to is running the download, matching all of the unmatched policies, matching all of the unmatched e-documents, uh, going through invoices, verifying commission amounts, basically that daily that daily download that needs to happen in every single brokerage, typically every day. We have a bot that goes in and processes that work, typically about 90% effective, meaning it can match about 90% of those, of those remaining suspense items. Uh, the second one is the eDoc executive. What that robot focuses on is document management within the BMS system. So when those documents actually download into the management system, uh, the eDocs, so the actual PDF documents, it will go into those documents, figure out what they are, open them up, name them, categorize them, put them in the right folder, route them to the right person within the organization. Um, third one is the renewal reviewer. And what the renewal reviewer will do is uh, analyze policies upon renewal period. So it will look at last year's policy. It will look at this year's policy, the actual PDF documents. It will do a comparison between last year and this year. So show you any major changes, uh, premium increases, coverage changes, change in discounts, uh, basically anything that's different from one policy to the next, it will flag that. And then we'll also look at this year's policy and compare that um, to uh, compare that to what you want to see on that policy. So for instance, if there are upsell or cross-sell opportunities like $1 million liability or missing overland coverage or missing sewer backup, or if there are discounts that that customer qualifies for that aren't being listed, like, you know, maybe there'd be a, a mortgage, there's no mortgagee on the policy and there's no mortgage-free discount. So identifying things like that. So basically flagging upsell opportunities, cross-sell opportunities, missing discounts, risk of churn, uh, things like that upon renewal periods so that uh, internally a broker staff can just focus on actually using that data and not have people spending time putting all of that data together, which can take anywhere from, you know, 15 to 30 minutes, depending on how complex that policy is. You've pitched a number of brokers. Some have obviously signed. I presume you haven't got a hundred percent close rate and some brokers have chosen not to sign. For, let me just check. I've, some brokers not signed. Okay. Some, we are not we are not at one hundred percent, unfortunately. <laughs> well, you know, maybe maybe I get there one day. Why would a broker, after hearing all this, decide not to engage with you guys? What what other reasons for not engaging? Yeah, the the biggest reason that we see is um, generally uncertainty about what happens afterwards. So let's take uh, let's take the renewal reviewer as as an example. Um, let's say, I actually have a very good example of this because this happened not too long ago. It was a fairly large brokerage um, around, mm, what was it? Maybe maybe 40,000 policies, something like that. So fairly, fairly good size. And we're going to be implementing the renewal reviewer. Upon implementation of the renewal reviewer, uh, it was going to be repurposing somewhere to the order of about six, six to seven full-time staff that were basically doing that, doing that entire process internally. So we would have been implementing this bot, it would have been repurposing all of that work, and they would have had six additional staff in their business that they could have used in, in different areas. Where they were uh, unsure about moving forwards, there's obviously a, you know, they need to, they need to pay for Quandary. And while Quandary is quite a bit cheaper than six people doing that work, they're not gonna go lay these, these six people off. They wanted to keep them, keep them in their business. So for them, understanding exactly where to take those six people and repurpose them internally to achieve that additional revenue, they didn't know that off the top of their head. 
So for them, they wanted to take that back. They wanted to look at this over the next six months, over the next nine months, and then re-engage when they had a better idea of where where they would actually be able to reclaim that revenue. Um, so let me let me just run those numbers back run those numbers back to you. Just make sure I get this right. So it's got a forty thousand PIF operation, which you know, depending on jurisdiction, line of business, blah 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 blah. I'm going to guess probably is about 40 staff, 35 to 40 staff. So that's going to be more. That's, that's got to be more. That's got to be like 150. Yeah. yeah, 130 or so. I did some rough math, and I think it, you're in the area of, uh, depending upon what your salaries are in processing and so on, but uh, give or take, if it's, maybe correct me on this, guys, it's been a while. If it's mm. 35 or 40 hours a month, a month of work, um, that's when it, it it becomes a break even if it's more than thirty five in that process. Maybe chime in there, Steve. Like on the on the low end, um, there there needs to be a, a certain amount of volume for it to make sense, right? So the way that we price is on a sliding scale based on PIF, based on the policies that the robot's actually processing. So it does go up and down depending on the size of the brokerage, but there is a floor there. Like you need to be um, you need to have a certain amount of volume in that process for it to make sense. It doesn't need to be doesn't need to be massive. Like we've got we've got customers in the you know fifteen hundred twenty five hundred PIF range where where they see ROI, but they're probably not going to deploy all three of our robots. I think um, where you were going with that, Adam, is like percentage you know percentage of employees or percentage of labor that that can be repurposed. If we deploy all three of our robots. Uh, into a brokerage, we can we can see five to eight percent of of staff repurposed. Typically, you see um, you're going to see larger amounts as the business gets gets larger as well because people are more specialized and they are more specifically applied to a to a certain process. Whereas if you have somebody who's doing you know half of this and half of this and half of this. Whereas on paper you might see that return, but it's not quite as clean in practice. Do each of the bots do one job? Um, or do, do they do multiple per each of the bots does one job. So like, I know there's download and we talked about policy review, renewal, comparison, review, flagging. Yeah. Um, I know of the e-doc one, as far as cleaning up and redistributing, refiling, mm-hmm. um, is are those the three or have I just, have some of mine overlapped? Yeah, those are the, those are the three that we have right now. And so as a business from an efficiency standpoint, as, as a quandary business, you can, uh, I think you said, quickly deploy those things into the next brokerage, the next brokerage, the next. It doesn't take a mass amount. It would be customizing, I guess, up to the BMS layer as like there's three or four BMSs and you need to change the paths per, but then every, would every TAM implication be the same? Sorry, when you say TAM, do you mean like the the BMS system? Oh, sorry, the- yeah, like yeah, yeah. Just like would would a singular like if you figured out for Power Broker is like the next five rollouts of that like twenty minutes? Yeah. So basically, basically how that works, um, it's it's pretty much the same, but there are are some small differences. So again, just because we've been talking about it, I'll use the renewal reviewer as an example. So let's say we're you know we've we've deployed the renewal reviewer on. Power Broker, and we're doing another one on Power Broker, different customer. There could be some minor differences in in their environment, in their ecosystem. That stuff is pretty quick to get through. Where you will see differences is on the configuration of the robot. So let's say Steve wants to be aware of, you know, every time that uh, there's no overline coverage on a policy. Let's say Adam doesn't care about overline coverage, but he really wants to be aware of any time there's no mortgage-free discount. 
And let's say Tom doesn't care about either of those. He just wants to know that GRC guaranteed replacement cost is listed on every single policy. Those configurations are different. So it does take a little bit of time upfront on the onboarding process to just adjust those configurations and make them the same. And then what takes a bit of time during onboarding is the actual testing of this. So we'll run the robot uh, in your system, Adam. And when we run that, your team then sees what the robot's producing based off those policies. And they're typically gonna look at that and they're gonna wanna change a thing or two. And then they're gonna test it again, change a thing or two, test it again, change a thing or two before they're finally ready to roll it out into, into production. So the differences between brokerages aren't huge, but there are differences in, in configuration uh, and then some testing during the onboarding period. But typically um, from kickoff to go live right now, we're for, for an existing product, 30 to 30 to 45 days. So let me get straight. So you're approximating something around saving five, I think I heard five to 8% of staff costs based on these three bots that you currently have. Is that, is that right? If it's yeah. If it's all three of the bots being deployed, we've seen five to five to eight percent. Okay. What do you think is the um, and and you guys are only you know obviously you're not touching every admin task yet. Um, how much more opportunity is there? Like if if those three bots are are carving out five to eight percent of staff costs, if you were able to automate or to, you know, if if Quandry, if Quandry, if your tool was able to kill all of that administrative stuff. How much are we talking about in your opinion? Like what, what are you missing, I guess? How much more beyond the five to eight percent is there for you to capture? Yeah. So in terms of the in terms of that actual percentage, um, it would be an educated guess giving you giving you a number on that. But um, there is a lot more room to move up. So we've tackled three three use cases, one of which is a is a very significant cost center in the business. The other two that are that can be significant, but it does depend on brokerages. There are Another three that we're working on right now um, that are probably as much time as those first three that we're that we're already tackling, and there are another you know three to four that we're looking at that we haven't even started working on yet. Um, I think you know roughly if we assume those are about the same, that brings us up to you know ten plus, maybe to fifteen percent. That I don't think is I don't think is unreasonable to to think that we'd be able to carve out. Yeah, so so we're looking at let's call it ten to sixteen total opportunity and staff salaries, you know, run 50 plus ish percent. Mm -hmm. So that's, uh, you know, five to 8% of revenue essentially is what the ultimate goal could be. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't think we, I don't think we necessarily know what the upper limit of those processes are because at one point we weren't able to automate the renewal review process, but essentially we increased our capabilities of what is possible to automate and have bots do. And now we can, we can automate, automate that process. So I think internally we're also seeing just where we can, we can push the boundaries of what you can have, have a robot do. My angle is into the, the API side and like, how do you guys see, we're obviously at this interim period where companies are slowly starting to release APIs and, and you have a business that, has built bridges because there is an absence of APIs. So how do you see your business sort of pivoting and evolving with um, these things starting to roll out? I think, so I would say part of our business has been built on bridging that gap where APIs don't exist. However, 
part of it is kind of independent from that from that even being a problem. Even if the data transfer was perfect into the into the BMS system, there's still going to be um, there's still going to be quite a bit of repetitive work on top of that that needs to happen that we're that we're automating right now. So I think there's pieces of that that are connected to it, pieces of it that aren't. However, even with um, this additional connectivity and like as it's happening, we see Quandary's role evolving to more so enable brokers to really tap into that. Like why Quandary exists and what we're what we're focused on is enabling brokers to be more productive, enabling brokers to sell more, enabling brokers to do more with technology when their existing vendors um, maybe haven't 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 been listening to to brokerages as much in the past. And with these APIs that are that are being built. Some of those will be able to be consumed by by current vendors, but there's a lot of work that needs to happen beyond just a carrier building an API for Adam or Steve to actually be able to tap into that and and use it. And we see Quandary and really just kind of Quandary and and other tech vendors in the space. Like our job is to build the middleware between the API and the broker to enable it to be consumed easily so that it's actually providing value to the business. It's one thing to have an API, it's another to actually use it and for it to be more effective than the alternative. And that's where we see Quandary being able to step in is building that middleware so that brokers can use it, use it effectively. And I think the most important piece there is that it's actually providing value to the broker. Like how we look at all of our technology and like what we're building, we don't build anything unless it's delivering like real tangible value to brokers and that's how we see we could we could step in there on the API. You're actually like not in the RPA business. You're in the business improvement business. Sort of. I think, um, and I, I think this actually comes back to what you were saying of like you know robots are the best the best tool right now. Like what we consider our business to be in the business of is providing value to brokerages, right? Allowing them to run their business better, allowing them to do more with less. Whether that's RPA, whether that's AI, whether that's improving their process, the, the, the tool to us isn't actually as important as the end outcome that's being delivered. And I think a lot of really good software companies are in the business of just improving other businesses. They do that through software products, but by using a really good software product, you also transform your business internally to, uh, to accommodate to that software. So I think your earlier point, Adam, of like what what tool you guys use right now, it, it isn't actually that important to us. And that's why we don't talk about, you know, the RPA or the AI or the OCR that often, because what we really care about is like, what does that actually mean? And like, what's actually being delivered to the broker, regardless of the of the technology being used? So let's, um, let's, let's talk about next steps for you guys. Like where, where does the, um, was the future hold for Quandary? Um, you know, where, where do you see the opportunities? In, in the short term, we've got, you know, we've got these three robots right now. We're working on a couple more. Um, the onboarding processes for those, while they've become way more efficient than where they were a few months ago and, and six months ago, they're still not nearly as efficient as we want. And one of the most exciting things that we're working on and building building out right now, uh, and, and we'll have released probably by the end of June, is the ability for brokers to actually self-deploy these robots on their own. Meaning that a broker could, you know, talk to a salesperson, come to the Quandary website through our platform, that they could deploy one of our pre-existing robots only uh, by using a business user, no no technical background required, 
and they could deploy one of these autonomous robots into their existing systems and have that have that robot processing work, you know, in 48 hours to be able to show them tests. And that's probably the most exciting thing we're working on in the short term. Um, and what that allows brokers to do is to access this a lot faster and have a lot more control uh, over the robots that they'll be deploying. And right now, we're still very much the uh, the linchpin to deploying more of these robots. We've we've got a little bit more work than than we can handle. Um, I think over the next couple of years, really where we see Quandary evolving is moving from this 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 world today where we have a couple of different robots doing doing these different things to a much more comprehensive automation suite for brokerages. So you come to the Quandary platform and instead of buying the renewal reviewer or buying the EDOC executive or download director or whatever it might be, you deploy a Quandary digital worker, right? So you're deploying a, you're deploying an autonomous backend processor and that agent has all of these different capabilities. It can review renewals, it can do eDocs, it can do portals, it can do all of these different things that you that you may want it to do. And you can just choose those options a la carte, turn them on, turn them off, and basically scale that autonomous agent into your back office so that uh, it can automate a large majority of that backend processing work that you're using at the ease of clicking a button and, and adjusting some parameters. And that's really what we're what we're moving to over over the next few years is expanding out the scope of that automation and the and the ease of access. Awesome. And I think there's just there's a lot of value and a lot of a lot of areas more I should say within a broker's life cycle that there is just insane amounts of value that can be added and a lot of high volume repetitive manual processing that's going on and. I don't think there's a there's a future anytime soon where all of that is eliminated by a BMS system. You're always going to have people working within that and working across different software applications. And I think we're really on the on the cusp of having things working within those applications that are not humans. And that's where that's where the robots and that's where the programs come in. And I think I think the amount we're going to start seeing this, not just in insurance, but across all industries, is really starting right now. Is retention important to your brokerage? Of course it is. That's why at IFS, we have a cancellation prevention process. Want more details? Give us a call. I know you don't always use a premium finance company, but when you do, you should use IFS. Cheers.